You can listen to The Professional Left on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There is a PayPal button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. This is the podcast for July 25th, 2014. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from just below the Nicaraguan Ebola chemtrails of doom. It's the professional left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. Those chemtrails are kind of pretty at dusk. They are. The way they light <laughs> up the sky. Uh, and if you're a Republican, apparently you are no longer allowed to go before your constituents and tell them that you care about refugees. No. <laughs> No. We have a Texas Republican state senator who is arguing for compassion yeah. at the border, and one of the attendees at his town hall said, but you have to represent us, not the refugees. Uh-huh. We have parents that have immunodeficiencies, and these kids are bringing Ebola and... Leprosy. And leprosy was one of them. And polio. Polio. Yeah. And, uh, and then there's the Ebola chemtrails of doom. Don't get forget yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah. Now, fortunately... This little town does not have to worry about the stupid virus. No, is the stupid cr- virus is already infected. That's already swept deeply, the town deeply like infected. wildfire. Yeah. <laughs> His town hall, yeah. It's spread by radio, radio and television. So just turn off your TV, turn off your radio, you'll be fine. You'll recover in six to eight election cycles. Now, Drift Class, you and I have had problems this week and pr- different problems that we face together and so forth. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Yes, I wish that I had Terry Lynn's problem, though. She, she has a big problem. She has a really big problem. Terry Lynn is running for the Senate, the U.S. Senate in the state of Michigan. Um, and apparently she self-funded her campaign to the tune of $2.9 million. And this, That's a lot. <laughs> but this caused some questions uh, among people in the state of Michigan because her financial disclosure statements didn't indicate that she actually owned $2.9 million. Oh, no. Was it in Bitcoin? Tur- turns out she forgot. That was in my other pants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that $3 million bank account. It's very Steve Martin-ish. It is. You know, it's, I'm sorry, I forgot I had $3 million in the bank. Don't forget. <laughs> well, excuse <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's got 99 problems and and three million. Three million <laughs> has to be something she forgot. Oops, I'm sorry. That you know that was in, literally that was under the different sofa cushion. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I misplaced three million dollars. I have never in my life misplaced three million dollars. Never, ever once. I have let a five dollar bill go through the laundry yeah. that one time. That one time. Um, hey, I get upset it. if I can't find that two dollar and fifty cent check that comes to the podcast every month. I know. Wonderful donor. I know. You know, we're so appreciative. I've been, like I said, it's been kind of a rough week personally for us. And uh, I, I'm, our, the marriage is fine, everybody. Take a deep breath. Marriage is <laughs> fine. <laughs> but. Uh, we're just going to see different people for a while. <laughs> no, <we're> not. <laughs> no. No, no. We still it's love just, you. Your sister. It's not your fault. Your sister says she's basically never seen a couple who's so into each other. Isn't that the word you use? Bring my you sister into it. are really into each other. Go yeah. ahead. Bring my sister into it. That's fine. Keep digging. <laughs> you always do that, Drip Class. always do that. <laughs> All yeah. right. But, yeah, we've had kind of a personally um, difficult week in that uh, I kind of took an emotional nosedive. When this first ACA ruling came out. Yeah. 
uh, and the the three judge panel in D.C. decided that because of one word, the uh, subsidies for my health insurance policy that I am struggling to pay uh-huh. uh, might not be valid. And that would mean for us personally that our health insurance premium would be pretty much the same as our mortgage payment. Yep. And we cannot afford that. I mean, nope. as I say, I'm moving money out of PayPal right now. And thank you very much. This is what I meant to, wanted to say, was counting our blessing. Yeah. We have someone who sends us $2.50 via his bank. So the bank eats the postage. Uh-huh. Um, like a bill. I don't remember. Does he do that every two weeks or does he do that every month? I can't remember. But even if it's just two fifty a month, that pays the little premium that we have to pay on our kids' Medicaid for one month. Mm-hmm. Every year he's paying that, that he yep. pays that. Yep. And so these little contributions that come in, and some people send us more, and we're grateful for that. Mm-hmm. But the $5 a month people are paying our health insurance. Absolutely. Yep. And, you know, and, and then there's the co-pays, and then there's the deductibles, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to get into all that. But to have a three-judge panel and two Republican judges in the District of Columbia just pull the rug out from under that over one word. Yeah. And just say, nope. And, you know, I was more sanguine about it later in the day when the other court voted unanimously. And now we hear it might go to the D.C. Circuit. And I've been reading a lot. This is part of this is just punishing me for being so informed, because if I was just watching Kardashians all day long, then I would worry about it. Right. Uh But um, I was basically in tears and emotionally paralyzed for much of the morning Tuesday. And I'm not comparing myself to somebody that gets a cancer diagnosis no. or to someone who loses no. a spouse or to no. someone who loses their job because I'm pretty cushioned from all of that right now. Uh-huh. But damn it, I was hurt. I was feeling like, because it took us eight months to get this plan that yeah. we have. This was, I this mean, was, this was paperwork and paperwork and dealing with Medicaid and getting dumped from Medicaid and being told, yeah, you should reapply for Medicaid. And well, do I need to, fill out an application or the, am I automatically eligible or what? Oh no, you have to, you should fill one out because they're inundated and calling and making eight calls and having someone tell me, oh no, I don't return calls until I get a 10th call. I mean, someone at the Medicaid office actually said that to me. Yeah. You have to leave 10 voicemails before I'll call you back. Yep. yep. Because that's how I've, I deal with what the fact she, I'm... she called it a catastrophe. Yeah. I am dealing with a catastrophe here. Yeah. A rolling catastrophe. Which I have to I have to triage by saying if you've left me a tenth voicemail, then I you go through the filter. Didn't know that. Yeah. And I'll speak a little out of turn here. You made my wife cry. Yeah. Um, for two reasons. And I, I was I was also just, you know, deeply upset and furious. It's a case where this nothing's gonna happen right away. Things will work themselves out. But it, it is that that Illinois was supposed to be a test case mm-hmm. for the Federal Affordable Care Act. Right. They wanted to be the guinea pig for the federal exchange. We volunteered Mm -hmm. to be the federal exchange. Because Obama's from here and the governor's a Democrat and we really bought into this. So let's give it a try. Let's let's be willing Mm -hmm. to be the flex point at which the federal government can come in and play with this. And And if this were find out what works and find out what doesn't. And if this were any other law in any other era it would have been well okay this part's broken this part needs some work let's reopen it let's tweak it let's you know the idea would be okay let's it, have a unanimous 
uh, well, you know, voice well, we rolled, vote that, yeah, this word was written in there wrong. Well, we okay. rolled out this big, complicated thing, and there are problems with big, complicated things. You know, Social Security was a mess when it was rolled out. Medicare was was a mess when it was rolled out. Let's be really flexible and forgiving during the first few years mm-hmm. and make sure that the intent of the law is what we're, we always target, which is get as many people enrolled as possible, get as many people at healthcare as possible, get as many people as healthcare as inexpensively as possible and pool those people so that the risk is et cetera, et cetera. But get the rug pulled out from under you just for well, partisan spite. That's the thing. It was after, you know, this is not no exaggeration, after months and months and months mm-hmm. of my wife patiently navigating this incredibly bureaucratic, screwed up, massively overstressed system mm-hmm. where the people inside the system just had piles of paper on the floor. On Nobody the floor. was going to give them any Not more on their paper. desk, on the floor. On the floor. Mountains as tall as my 10-year-old. Absolutely. And you, know, he, he, yep. and you are a meticulous record keeper. Oh, I had so a folder. Here's the folder. Three quarters of an inch thick, which is not as thick as buying a house or getting a divorce. So but it's thick. And so step one, you have lost your existing insurance, which is right. Medicaid. October 31st. You're done. You're off. You're off that. So now we're kind of in free fall. Okay, so the the copay and again i don't want to make it about us because it isn't about us it's about this process that is so vicious um the copay on your medicine drift glass is three dollars you're now out of pocket on the medicine the medicine costs 250 dollars. right the the copay is now 170 dollars or whatever it is so it's less than it was when i was 100 percent out of pocket but it's still incredibly more than than it was when It, it, not not to get too much into the weeds, but we are now actually paying full freight until you spend. We have a thousand dollar deductible on drugs. Right. That's the point. Right. And so, but you get the the point was I really pushed the pharmacy to get that insurance number in there, and I had to call them a couple times to make sure they had the right one. Again, you know, this is just bureaucracy. And and but so to, to keep I wanted it... to get the insurance company's price for that drug right. <laughs> because because it's a hundred dollars less. Right? Well, and and the the. The non-inside baseball portion of this yeah. is um, so my wife takes the folder personally to the yep. place yep. and they lose it. Yep. And they don't know they've lost it, so we don't hear back from them. So right. 10 phone calls, 12 phone calls. Oh, yeah, you should bring that in. Oh, we did bring it in. Oh, yeah, there's a temp that works out there, and sometimes they just throw shit away. So, okay, let's bring it in a second time. So my wife walks it back to the person mm-hmm. who is supposed to work on it, and here's the mountain of folders that are already there. Yep. And On the this, floor, as tall as my 10-year-old. And this yep. just goes on. And this, all this time we're uninsured. This is going on month after month after month after month. And, er, you know, every week – more phone calls every week. We're getting messages from one side of the system saying you're denied. Right. We're getting messages from the other side of the system saying, "Why aren't you applying for this thing?" Exactly. That the you're other eligible. side of the, But your the left hand just told us we were denied for the thing. The right hand told us we should really apply for. Would someone please rise above this chaos and yep. tell us what the fuck we're supposed to do? Well, and you remember TurboTax told us you're eligible yeah. for Medicaid. Even TurboTax <laughs> said you should apply for this right away because you're totally eligible for it. Really? Call? No, you're not. No, you're not. Because of some some yeah. weird way that we calculate things, you just happen to not be eligible. What am I eligible for? Well, you should go on the exchange. We've been on the exchange. That's why I'm talking to you. And around and around and around yeah. and around we go. So finally, and the the whole point of the story is finally, finally, we got health insurance. Yep. And, and and we're paying for the premium. I will tell you guys, we are paying for the premium with your podcast donation. Yeah, 
But because otherwise, if we didn't have those, we'd probably really would be eligible for Medicaid. Yeah, but, you know? <laughs> but the point is, so we try to pay the premium and the insurance company. Oh, we, we can't take your payment online. Oh, we can't take it this way. Oh, we're going to charge you if we mail you a bill. Yeah, that, that's the, Just, that was the amazing punchline this week was if we mail you a bill, we have, we're charging you for yeah. that. We want you to pay by phone. So again, this is all, high, this is all highly specific to you and I, but yeah. having slogged through this fucking nightmare as good liberals who really, really want this to succeed and just grit our teeth and say, look, just tell us what we want to do. Between us, we have like a bunch of degrees. We're very well educated. We're very technical, technically savvy. We both worked in large bureaucracies before. Yep. Please help us navigate this mess and we will do 80% of your job for you. We are so we have everything you need to make a decision. Just make a decision. And so finally, 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 we come to home base. We tag up at home base and we have health insurance. And it's, it's, it's a struggle, but you know what? It's worth it. And we breathe a sigh of relief and we both go to the doctor and we both get this and we both do that. And, and I got a great. pap smear on my birthday. She did. And, and you were there, Driftless. Happy birthday. <laughs> this and, is the kind of husband I have, by the way. And, he would stand next to me and hold my hand through a well, pap smear. You know, it's we, we're good for each other's blood pressure, although our insurance does not cover that. So, <laughs> True. So. So, so, but the long and the short of it is, and I know this is kind of long, but really this does make sense. We went through the entire bad experience, every bad experience you've heard about the Affordable Care Act, we went through. And we finally got to home base and we felt this immense sense of relief. Yeah, it'll be tough. Yeah, you know, we're, we're scraping by, but millions of people are scraping by. But thank God this finally happened. And then we wake up one day and turn on the radio and we hear, oh, you know what? A couple of Republicans have found a loophole and fuck you. We're taking it all away. Mm hmm. All the things you just went through, ha, 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 it doesn't count. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. We're taking it away. Not because the law wants us to take it away from you. Not because there's any reason, but just out of fucking spite. Mm -hmm. Just to score points on Barack Obama. And to make you liberals cry. So we get to score points on Barack Obama, the Kenyan usurper who we hate. Uh, we're never going to be able to impeach him, but we can we can just hurt him. And we can hurt liberals. We can make liberals cry. And we get to do it while terrorizing millions of poor people. That's a great day. Congratulations, you made a I spent the whole Tuesday morning yeah. crying. Congratulations. That is Hope the, you're happy. That's the conservative dream come true. Yeah. I fucked over the president. I made liberals cry. And I terrorized poor people. That's a good day for conservatism. Mm -hmm. And and we you know we caught our breath and it's not going to happen right away. But the idea that we've already gone through this whole rigmarole. And Ari Melber explained it to me, so now I'm okay. And then, <laughs> and, but we went through this whole rigmarole. We finally got where we thought we were, you know, we're hanging on, but we're hanging on. Mm -hmm. And the thing that made it especially sad, I mean, this is this is the sort of the second wave of just fury that came out of you and, and came out of me too was, you and I are really well equipped to do this sort exactly. of thing. Exactly. And I'm what always, about, what I was in part crying for, for the 7.9 million people who don't have me as an advocate. Right. Who, do, who work three jobs and don't have time to go to the HHS office. And sit there all and day. And sit there for an hour and a half and wait to see a worker, uh, you and, know. And know that you have to find Jimmy. Yep. Because if you don't get the file to Jimmy, you give it anybody else are going to put it in the shred. No, if I put it in the front desk, as I did one time, and said, could you please give this to Jimmy, it never makes it to Jimmy. Yep, yeah. ever. And so what about, we We just felt like we were punched in the gut. Yeah. What about all those people who who got punched in the gut who have no educational yeah. or, frankly, emotional 
preparedness mm -hmm. to deal with going through this hell all over again. And it was just so, and it was so cruel. And the thing, the watching conservatives gloat over their ability to screw the, the most vulnerable people as a, as a political prize, a way of just sticking it to the black guy in the White House because they shouldn't be there to begin with. And it's, it's, it was just one more example of why these people need to go. Why these people, and, and I don't have a plan, I don't have a five-step program, other than I, I sort of do, which is you, go after, you always go after the center, always go after the people in the middle who keep aiding and abetting their behavior. Can we They're, talk a minute about Abby Huntsman? Yeah, let's talk about Abby Huntsman. Sure. She sure. was, she's on the cycle, you know. She's, uh, she's and, Don Huntsman's good Mormon daughter. And, you well, know. and and they were talking today on the this we're recording this Thursday afternoon. They were talking on the cycle today about millennials, yep. which is what they do. Yep. Millennials are very very liberal on social issues, but don't. Call but they're them. ambiguous uh -huh. on spending issues. They're yeah. ambiguous. You know, all you have to do as as one of the liberal people on the show said, all you have to do is phrase the question in terms of, do you want us to spend money on you? And like every voter, of yes. course they do. Yes, I do. But, but Abby Huntsman said something that really made <laughs> made me laugh, but also hurt me a lot. Uh -huh. She said she she was talking to President Obama uh -huh. with a concerned face, and she said, "Not making mistakes is not a foreign policy, Mr. President." Yeah, you know what? It's a start. It's a start <laughs> compared to the it's, last president. How about how about the Hippocratic Oath? I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but how about do no harm yeah. as a starting point? How about and, not fucking things up? That's a starting yeah. point. Yeah, and Abby Huntsman also, in in response to the uh, millennials' comment, you know, with they're very liberal on social issues and ambiguous on spending issues, said, "Yeah, we got a group for them. It's called No Labels." Yeah, and that's when I and just, that's when I wrote this song, Griffith. You did? You had a song? I wrote a song. Uh -huh. Mine ears have heard the glory of what comes from Huntsman Brain. Oh, dear Abby, what's the deal? Did you drink too much champagne? Your commentary <laughs> leaves me with this terrible head pain. But no labels marches on. Oh, God. Bless. Yes. No, I'm not done yet. Oh. oh. <laughs> glory, glory, were no labels. The right wing crimes we will enable. Forget the past. We'll teach nothing but fables. Because Abby Huntsman's got to get paid <laughs> yay and, and abby huntsman will always get paid she'll always get paid always yes get paid. and and this is you know this is the season this is this time of year roughly this time of year is the great annual centrist independent unicorn snipe hunt yep where everybody goes looking for those independent voters that don't <laughs> exist and everybody goes about explaining how either um, back when uh, David Brooks was doing this five years ago, four years ago, the independents are all a bunch of conservatives, really. They they just you know they they don't want to be called that, but they're you know they, they, they're anti-tax, they're anti. They uh, lurch to the right, right. And now, of course, independents are really just secretly liberal. They just don't want to be called that. No, the problem is you do have people. First of all, I'll call them liberals. I don't care if they like it or not. Mm -hmm. Secondly, the problem with no labels and other uh, well-funded. Mm -hmm. boutique organizations like that, uh, vanity projects like that, is all of them exist for the same reason. Mm -hmm. They all exist to make sure that conservative atrocities never are, get punished. Yeah, Never get punished because they're mitigated by, well, you know, if, if only both sides, if only bipartisan, if only we had didn't have extremes on both sides. Yeah. And and you can, I, seriously, I just, at this point, I'm, I'm like sampling media. 
Um, I, I watch things seriously. I read certain things seriously, but I just sample media. And I, I'll flip on just a, a show for two seconds. I'll flip on uh, commentary or radio for a couple minutes. Just wait for the caller. Wait for the caller. Here he comes. And, well, you know, I, I don't identify myself as a Republican anymore. I, uh, I like to think of myself as an independent libertarian. And uh, I, all I can say is, you know, if the extremes on both sides, and that's the point at which you have to hang up on them. Yep. Those people are fucking cowards. Yep. They're hiding out under a label because they are Republicans who do not want us to punish them for fucking this country up. And again, they're free. They can call themselves whatever they want. In, 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 in two years, they'll come up with a new different labeling system for themselves. They'll have evaded once again responsibility for all the disasters they have wrought. But it's the people who let them get away with it, the people who enable them, the people who will always respond to a Republican fucking up in public, creating some disaster with, well, you know, the extremes on both sides. Those are the people that I would urge you to go after in any way you can. Because well, and there's one other there's one other issue with that, Rick Glass. I was actually this afternoon in preparation for this podcast reading some of the No Labels website, which I know you've done before I, as well. I have. One of the things No Labels argues for is to stop the partisan fighting and work on solving problems. Yes. Yes. You know who's also said that today? Barack Obama. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. requires compromising with Democrats. Yes. Yeah. Well. So my feeling is stop the left-right bickering and solve problems. You first. Yeah. <laughs> we well, did that. Our president is trying to do that. Yeah. And, and he's compromised to the point where that 47% that thinks he's doing a rotten job, at least 18% of those people think he hasn't gone far enough in calling you out as the assholes you are. Right. And that there's, see, there's the thing. It is impossible to save, to salvage the people who are addicted to hate radio and Fox News. They, they just go with God. You can't save them. But the people who are addicted to knee-jerkedly um, explaining that both sides are this and both sides are that. The reason you can round on them is that if you if you engage like like the uh, the the, the congressman did on C-SPAN this week, there was that there was the guy who called up with this long list starting with Benghazi and Patrick Crooks and Liars for the video on this. It was yeah, I got a long, really I got kind a list. of funny. Yes, and he just starts you know pulling Benghazi fast and furious, <laughs> pulling Republican bumper stickers out he of his ass. He didn't mention Acorn even once, Drift Glass. No, he didn't. Well, he—he he sort of voter suppression. You know, I'm sure. Voter suppression—that's on you and the Democrats. Yeah. Republicans don't do that. And I'm—but I, it was like wow. the, those those magicians who pull silk handkerchiefs out of their mouths at the lightning <laughs> over speed. And over and over and over. It was just this <laughs> this straight projectile spew of one ludicrous talking point that I'm sure this poor benighted um, head up his ass. Uh, half wit believes with all his heart because if he, if because if he started doubting the day will come sooner Hannity or later viewer. he'll have to blow Hannity his fucking viewer. brains out. Hannity viewer. Yeah. Hannity, Hannity viewer. viewer. And and so he and the guy just said, look, I, I, that he said that's quite a list, and I'll take yeah. them on one. No, I'm not going to take them on. No, all. forget it. No, no, because the sense of defeat in his voice, like yeah. fuck this guy. I, yeah. You know, there's nothing in the world that I'm going to ever say that's going to convince you otherwise. You can't convince that guy. And um, he did say, you need to stop watching Fox News. Yeah, he did. He did. And, <laughs> and, and next caller. But next caller. the people who make the, who live, the, the parasitic scumbags like Harold Fraud Jr., who live off of literally doing nothing but sitting in a chair and saying both sides, both sides. My, and it was my dear friend Lawrence Kudlow. I agree with a lot of what he says. But, you know, the extremes on both sides. That's. <laughs> 
that's that's it. I mean, you could put a Democrats. Little, you could put a sock in a chair with a tape recorder that just says that, and that's Harold Ford Jr. Yeah, I want to talk about Israel. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yeah. I'm gonna oh, tread great. very carefully. John Stewart got it just right. There's nothing you can say that you won't get slammed for. Yep. There's literally nothing you can't open your mouth. Oh, so you don't care about dead babies? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Really? Yeah. And and this is the definition of tragedy. There's no way out of this. This is very sad. Well, and I'm a Brandeis graduate and mm-hmm. have a lot of friends who feel passionately one way or the other. Uh, fascinatingly, I have Jewish friends who are very anti what Israel is doing. Yes. Not surprising at all, actually. Not surprising at all, actually. We wanted to talk a little bit about the woman who was on MSNBC complaining about how often Bibi Netanyahu was on MSNBC. Yeah. Rula Jabril, I think her name is. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, Surprisingly, she was she pointed out Mrs. Greenspan by name. Yeah, yeah. yeah she mentioned <laughs> Andrea Mitchell. Andrea Mitchell by name. By name on MSNBC. Name on MSNBC. Said, how much? How often she interviews Bibi Netanyahu? Not a surprise. Yeah. Bibi Netanyahu and all of his surrogates. Well, and and this is a challenge for any network that wants to cover this story fairly. Not not in a not in a. Uh, a knee-jerk, balanced way, but no, fairly. No, not a both-sides way, just right. fairly. Uh-huh. Bibi Netanyahu doesn't represent all of Israel any more than John McCain represents all of the United States. Well, I remember how much this country valued it, the, the free speech and making sure um, both sides, protesters, were given equal access to uh, television during the Iraq War. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember that. that vivid, I remember that vividly. I'm sure somewhere Phil Donahue was laughing his ass off. Yeah, sure. Um, um, I, I can't solve this problem. What is undeniably true about expressing opinions about Israel uh, was explained to us by Christopher <laughs> Hayes, <laughs> bless his heart, and he said it doesn't have anything to do with Israel. Yeah. It has to do with if you bitch about my network or any network, expect to, them to not invite you back on. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think her name is Rula Jabril, uh-huh. was on MSNBC. And pointed out that the uh, coverage uh, across the board was um, wildly skewed in favor of Israel, and that even MSNBC's Andrea Mitchell <laughs> had had Bibi Netanyahu, had Netanyahu on. on, and and you know just relentlessly um, pouring, and it was wildly one-sided. And she was under a regular contract, a regular contributor contact co- contract with MSNBC. And suddenly her contract was terminated. Mm -hmm. And it was terminated specifically because she said mean things about MSNBC. And if you're getting paid by MSNBC, you don't get to say mean things about MSNBC. That's what Christopher Hayes said. Chris Hayes the next day said, and I don't know how he drew the short straw, but uh, (laughs) it was because, you know, there's a thing called Twitter. And she went right on Twitter and said, uh... All my, my appearances have been canceled. Canceled. Yeah. The minute the minute I, I criticized MSNBC and Andrea Mitchell by name, um, my contract with them was canceled. I thought since Joe Scarborough does this every fucking morning, <laughs> we were cool with that. But apparently we're not cool with that. And Chris Hayes, bless his heart, had to go on and do the party line thing. Now, he had her on. He, he had her back on the air. He said, I like her, and she's back here, and we're going to talk about this. Good for him. But he said, look, it's no big mystery. This is, you know, this is not a big conspiracy. If you're on, if you, if you're, if you're a contributor to a show, if you talk on a show, and you criticize that network, expect the people who run the network to be upset with you. Yeah. All of which makes sense, unless you consider Glenn Greenwald. 
Yeah. And Glenn Greenwald has done this dozens and dozens and dozens of times and always gets invited back on because money. Because money. Because <laughs> Glenn Greenwald has made a career. The that's last why they call year. it money. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's why they call it money. Glenn Greenwald. And uh, this, is, this is, believe it or not, this is not a slam about Glenn, Glenn Greenwald. This no. is not particular to him or any, anything else. That's a different show. You'll notice that I'm tapering off of that. That is so wow. far above <laughs> my pay grade at this point. Um, this, these, there are giants on mountaintops lobbing, you know, thunderbolts at each other, and they don't care about me. They don't listen to me. They don't abide. They, all I do is piss people off when I mention Glenn Greenwald's name. So I will continue to do it when when it strikes my fancy because I don't work for anybody. No, but you're talking about this in terms of MSNBC network policy being a hypocrite. NBC network policy, according to Christopher Hayes, if you criticize the network, expect to have your contract canceled by the network. Glenn Greenwald has made a career of the, over the last year of going on MSNBC and being treated fetid like like a, you know, tell us Uncle Glenn about your latest century because that yeah. oh that's very exciting. I mean, very very softball interviews, hot oil massages, hot <laughs> rock treatments. You know, oh can I rub that knot out of your neck? It must be so hard to be you. I won't ask you about the fact that you're not in jail and you kept explaining that you were going to go to jail, you would be thrown into jail immediately upon coming to this country. I'm not going to ask you any hard questions about any of those things those mean people say about you. I'm just going to ask you, how's your book tour going? Is it really true that Edward Snowden is a hero? And that's the kind of treatment he gets from MSNBC. Okay, Then he leaves MSNBC and immediately and immediately at the next opportunity starts he's talking tweeting, about... He's tweeting bitch fests about MSNBC. He's tweeting yeah. and he's writing in, in his publication and he's talking about them on other networks about, yeah, the, you know, they just bend over for the president. Yeah, the hacks there, the, the, the drooling jackbooted servants of Barack Obama. Next up on MSNBC, it's Glenn Greenwald. Hey, Glenn, how's it going? Oh, it's going great, Phil. How are you doing? Yeah, everything's fine. Then he goes right back out and says, those jackbooted jackals on MSNBC, good God, how do they sleep with themselves? Well, do- there is a difference between the woman who was going after Andrea Mitchell in that she went specifically on the network against a host on the network, and it was about Israel. Well, so uh, B is correct. A is not. I found the footage of Glenn Greenwald on MSNBC. About trashing MSNBC? MSNBC. Okay, all right. So, uh, no, Glenn Greenwald is the exception because let's face it, he's Chris money. Hayes's friend. Yeah, and he's mo- and, he's and he's got money, money behind him. Yeah. So, so Ben. Uh, uh, and he's a white guy. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of differences here that we could dive into. But this idea, and we are going to call you out on the fact that it's not just about complaining about MSNBC on the air. That's no. not what it's about. Because Glenn Greenwald has trashed gone out of his way to gratuitously slam the shit out of MSNBC over and over and over and over again. And he keeps getting invited back and he keeps showing up with a smile on his face and they keep promoting his book and then he goes away and he slams them again. So I get the fact that, that uh, Rula Jabril embarrassed you, Mm -hmm. but, but Chris, you know, I, I think I wrote in my post as Lucius Fox said, Mr. Wayne, if you don't want me to know what's going on, you don't have to tell me, but please don't treat me like an idiot. Yeah, and don't Chris, pretend I don't know. <laughs> Chris, you can pretend that the rule is if you talk bad about MSNBC, you'll have your contract canceled, but that's bullshit, and you and I both know it. Yeah. Glenn Greenwald gets to go on there and butt-scoot his way across the studio anytime he wants, mm-hmm. and he's free to leave and go and trash-talk you and trash-talk the rest yep. of the network And as leave much a shit stain about MSNBC all over town. All over town, and he gets and, away yeah, with it. And the question for, and, and so is Jar Scarborough, the, for that matter. Yeah, and the question for Chris Hayes and anyone else who's defending the network at this point is, why? 
why? Why? Why? Why do these two white guys get away with it? The woman of color doesn't. Why is that? Why is that? And, <laughs> and 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 that is a question for which we will never get an answer. No, I because know, I know. the answer is because my exactly, boss. Exactly, it's exactly why Rachel Maddow has to behave herself on Meet the Press. Yeah, because yep. my boss tells me to. Because if I because if I here's the line: if I cross it, I'm gone. Yep. So, but it was just really interesting that he would he was go out of his way to make this very specific point about there being this rule. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, except. There's not. <laughs> and here's the proof. So And speaking of really interesting, uh-huh. you had a very interesting observation this week about why the right wing might be fighting immigration and and child refugees yeah. from another part of the world coming to the United States. Yeah. Well, Pork Top Hill, Hamburger Hill, it was that it was the uh, it was the Clint Eastwood movie about Grenada. Was Hamburger Hill. At some point in the movie, he makes some reference to, I guess we're over Vietnam now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he makes it real explicit that, and, and you know, the, the thinking at the time was Ronald Reagan invaded Grenada to get our national hard on back that had been taken away from us in Vietnam. And you can still find wing nuts who will swear on the lives of their children that we didn't lose in Vietnam. Politicians wouldn't let us win in Vietnam. Right. Okay. We should go no. back and fight the war again. <clears throat> win this time. No, yeah. we lost in Vietnam because we had no fucking business of being in Vietnam. But you will still find people who were all in with the U.S. involvement in Vietnam all these years later, still living this delusion that we could have won, we should have won, we we were stabbed in the back, we were prevented from winning, and who who and who lived with this um, sense of failure, which mm-hmm. in my view was completely justified. Until Ronald Reagan held a little Hollywood boutique war to give them like their little Vietnam Viagra. Mm-hmm. You know, this got their heart on back. America's back, baby. Yeah, because we conquered a tiny island with a bunch of Marines. Yeah, Good so for okay. us. But we got to have parades. We got to have medals. There were more medals given out in Grenada, I think, than there were people. But it was this big, yeah, hey, we're over it, man. We put it behind us. All right. So there really was a thing called Vietnam Syndrome. And there really was this mythology that the right wing invented about how they were sold out and how we, we could have won. Well, welcome to Iraq, mm-hmm. where the right wing does not want to admit we lost that war. We did. They do not want they want to they want to believe in their heart of hearts that we were sold out, that we could. They want to they want to believe that there are WMD somewhere in the Middle East yeah. that we just haven't found them yet. And this is John McCain. This we were John not Mc... lied into war. We were not no. lied. In, I I still believe in President Bush. He was right. He, he was right. He's a good Christian man. But most importantly, we won. We won in Iraq and Barack Obama sold us out. Yep. He sold us out. And so there's there's that mythology that's clicking right along just as it did in Vietnam. And there's also this sense of loserhood. That they really went big and strong and loud and all in with the Iraq war and they fucking lost. They – everything they had, everything they they swore up and down they believed in, all their causes, all their beliefs, the entire predicate for conservatism, which is basically what this war was, turned out to be a fucking lie. And they cannot live with that. They cannot accept that. So they want to – they need – to punch the fuck out of somebody. Mm-hmm. They need to beat up somebody. They need to win somewhere. They and, and and under Barack Obama, this is why they're furious that he won't start another war. Because yeah. the only way they got their heart on back after Vietnam was Grenada. And the only way they're going to get their heart on after Iraq is to go blow the fuck out of some country somewhere and declare, declare a win. So we can have parades and we can celebrate and we can be happy being Americans again. But that's not happening. So you have all this sublimated rage that they have to take out on somebody. So let's line up on the border with a bunch of guns and take it out on a bunch of kids. 
let's kick the shit out of a bunch of immigrant kids, mm. and that'll make us feel better about what badass tough guys we are. And that's all they have mm-hmm. until the until a Republican president gets into office and bombs Russia or invades Syria or does something that makes them happy. All they have is finding some small group of people that they can stand up to, that they can arm themselves, that they can protect themselves and they can win. Because not making a mistake isn't a foreign policy, Mr. President. Yeah. So they want to win. <laughs> They want to win because they are perennial losers. Conservatives well, are and, perennial. And they want to win. They have to win. Diplomacy is never winning. It's hard. Diplomacy is hard and grown up and complicated and, and nuanced. And bombing and invading is easy. And it's clear who wins when that it's happens. Clear. Yeah. Look, look. That, that building See, was I there think, and now it's fine. I think that's, to me, and I hope she proves me right. Uh-huh. To me, that's the difference between Hillary Clinton now and Hillary Clinton 28, 2008, <laughs> which is... She was put in a job where she wanted to do a good job, and that job was diplomacy. Right. And she had – I'm sorry. She had to learn how to do diplomacy. I do think there was on-the-job training there for her. She didn't know it going in because she had all that bullshit about, you know, we're not going to take nuclear nuclear weapons off the table in Iran and all this other hawkish stuff. And I'm hoping that she proves to all of us, if she's going to do her sister-soldier moment, that she admits – uh-huh. You know, she doesn't have to admit she's wrong. She was wrong at some point. But I she I think she does have to say what I've learned as secretary of state is the power of diplomacy. And that's what my presidency is going to be about. I'm going to continue the work that President Obama's done. And she needs to say President Obama because they hate that. Yeah. The work yeah. that President Obama has done in the diplomatic way that he has won <laughs> by not firing a shot mm-hmm. in Various and and point out where that is. Mm-hmm. The pr- the problem for Obama is that doing the diplomacy part is messy. It is, and it people don't always do what you want them to do. Whereas if you just bomb the shit out of them, you win. You do you do win? Yeah. <laughs> so peace is hard. Yes. Class. Be, well, being a grown up is hard. Being a grown up is hard. Uh-huh. It's much easier just throw your toy across the room and break it. Mm-hmm. And declare victory. And and that's that's what we're up against. I, I will say, yeah. add one thing that um, now that you brought up Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. I'm so tempted to bring up Netroots Nation. Well, you know, Netroots Nation, you know what Netroots Nation was about? Hillary 2016. It was it was about Hillary 2016. How do liberals think about <laughs> Hillary 2016? What what is Elizabeth Warren, whose speech was not about Hillary 2016? But maybe she's going to mess up Hillary 2016. Yeah. The only two news items I saw and I I. I I regret we didn't go, or I regret we couldn't go, frankly. Yeah. Uh, I would have loved to have had a beer with Charlie Pierce. We were, we were busy paying our healthcare premiums, yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> we had we had a couple of things we had to do. Um, and I, I love you guys. I wish I could have met a lot of you in person or renewed acquaintances in person. Uh, but frankly, the only two news items that I kept an eye out, I watched a couple of the speeches online. They were they were rousing and they were fun. Um, Joe Biden being Joe Biden. Biden was Biden. Was, yes, he was, he was so Biden. Yeah, he out-Bidened Biden. Um, <laughs> look that reference up. Uh, but the, for the larger world, this is this is the grand you know, gathering of the liberal tribes every year. And and to the outside world, the only two stories that came out of that was Steve Kornacki talking about Hillary 2016 and Politico talking about Hillary 2016. That was it. <laughs> that was it. They were launching pads for the shit they wanted to talk about anyway, which was Hillary 2016. And it's not like that's not a fun story to talk about or not, or if that, you know, talking about future presidential elections while the midterms are looming is, you know, seems strange to me. There are a million other issues to talk about. And really important ones. 
Uh, you can start with climate change or the XL pipeline. Or but Drift Pass, it's 542 days until the Iowa caucuses. I know. I know. <laughs> and we don't get that many chances to influence the narrative. And it, it, it depressed me that the only influence that this had on the national dialogue at all was give two people a, a springboard into talking about Hillary 2016. And that's just kind of, that was kind of disappointing. Thanks for a great podcast, Drift Glass. Well, it's not over yet, Blue Gal. I can still screw this thing up. Each week we post to our Facebook page and website an internet kitty sent in by you, the listeners. This week's internet kitty is him he. Him he was a partner, is a partner of the beloved and late chocolate Siamese Hershey. Get uh -huh, it? Uh -huh. oh. Yes, Hershey is no longer with us, but him, he is going strong and uh, enjoying life and uh, is a gorgeous kitty. Please go check him, he out at our Facebook page and website. You can send your internet kitty to us at our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com, where you can write to both of us. We love hearing from you. I want to do a special shout out to everyone who wrote to us this week. Yes, thank you. We had a listener send us a DVD of the Mark Marin show on podcasting, which, <laughs> which you and I had you you've seen it two or three times already. I uh, a couple times, I've seen it a couple times, yeah. And you made me watch it, and it is really good, and and it's good because it's a consistent, hardworking podcaster talking about what it takes to do a podcast. It, a lot of his show is about the podcast, but this yeah. was real inside baseball. Inside in baseball about podcasting and how important it is to be consistent, show up every week so people can find you. And he's sitting there talking to some, uh, not, ca not casting aspersions, uh -huh. but he's talking to a millennial who says, yeah, yeah I, I did my podcast last year, man. And like, it was like eight hours long. So that ought to hold him. <laughs> How long is an episode? Like eight hours. You eight can't hours. do that. No. You can't do that. No. Well, yeah, because I figured that'll hold them, you know, and yeah. maybe I'll do one next year. I don't know. No, but, you have to do it does... every week. You have to do it constantly. You have to make sure they know where to find you. You have to make sure it's updated. You have to make sure they, and he's really freaking out that this guy did one podcast in 2013. <laughs> but man, it was eight hours long. Yeah. Well, and, and he, he, he makes a really strong connection between good radio yeah and good podcasting yes he does um that, he has a whole riff about bad, bad radio bad radio it's very funny it's very um, funny and he hooks up with to go and see go watch it online or watch it's really it. it's very good it's, it's funny and it's and it's short it's on ifc it's so 22 it's, minutes 25 minutes long they aren't very long episodes yeah. but they're really this one's really good we do recommend it yeah I and also want to thank people for the birthday presents they sent. I got gift uh, certificates for coffee and pizza, and uh, the kids are really going to appreciate the pizza. Uh, thank you very much. Um, one listener sent me a generous check and also a gift certificate for yarn. Oh, my. Huh. How would they ever do that? I, you hide that so well. How would they ever <laughs> suss that out? It is a company that uh, recycles Indian saris. Oh. Silk. Oh, really? Shreds it and spins it into yarn and well, that's... was able to order two skeins of it for a scarf. And uh, that should be coming soon. I'm excited. I wonder if my mom knows about that. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to share it with her and show her what it is. Drop a little truth on her, huh? <laughs> huh? I don't think you can drop truth on your mother. Your no. mother's got a lot of truth. <laughs> uh, in case you've never met my mom and none of you have, she's Elizabeth Warren in 20 years. Yep. At, at age 83. Imagine Elizabeth Warren at age 83. Yeah, and sharp as hell and as, as and, and wants to yeah. wants to fix this world because as only a school teacher can. Yeah. And, and I also thank my can. mom who sent us our very own plastic Jesus, which has a very special quality. Oh, yeah. This is, 
it, it has a place of honor. Best birthday gift ever. I want to talk about this for a minute. It's, it's All right. Answer Me Jesus. Uh-huh. Right? And it's yep. this um, probably a foot and a quarter high plastic Jesus that's bright pink. In the original packing material. In the original packaging, which yeah. is really cool. Uh-huh. And you can flip it over and it's like a magic eight ball. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you ask Jesus a question and you flip it over and the answer is, I'll have to ask my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pray for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's your Bible bitch segment for yeah, this week. <laughs> Bible. Someone was asking me if the thunderclap, Bible bitch thunderclap is coming back. No. The professional left presents Bible bitch. That's not scriptural. Brought to you by Pontius Pilates. Pontius Pilates. Whip yourself into shape with Pontius Pilates. Yes. It, it just hasn't been in the past two podcasts because I haven't had a lot of time to edit podcasts in the past two weeks. Yeah, it's been, been pretty hectic. Bible Beach Thunderclap will be back. Yes. All right. And thank you, thank all of you for writing to us for your support for paying our health insurance premium and yeah, <laughs> and just being there for us. We want to be there for you, and we're really glad we have this opportunity. Feel free to write us, and be aware that if you write us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email or U.S. Postal Service go postal unions letter on the air unless you say otherwise. So, Drift Glass, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? Well, Blue Gal, the Internet Kitties are delighted with the great weather we're having, which, of course, leads us to our top story, Hillary 2016. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, loving, dubbing. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with the switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. The Professional Left Podcast is recorded under Creative Commons license. Copyright 2014. Drift Glass Blue Gal Podcast. Minecraft is awesome. Now it's time for Science Fiction University with our science fiction expert, Jeff Glass. We have a very interesting science fiction university, courtesy of our contributor, Dogface Terman. Uh, most of these are from the radio program X-1, which was a science fiction oldie-timey radio program. Uh, the first one's from Exploring Tomorrow, and the second one's from Dimension X, and the rest are from X-1. And these are rather long excerpts of teleplays based on short stories by famous science fiction writers. And so, Have I mentioned recently how much I love radio? <laughs> yeah, radio is great. <laughs> I, we used to sit around and listen to Radio Mystery Theater, especially on fishing trips with my dad. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. And it's great knitting time, too, by the way. Science fiction is the perfect radio medium. All the special effects are in your head. We're going to play them. They're kind of long, so... But I think you'll find them fascinating. And right. your job is yes, yes, not, yes. To guess, not to guess the show. Your job is to guess the short story and author on which the teleplay is based. Okay. And I will tell you that we have mentioned nearly all of them on <gasps> the podcast at all least of, once. All the authors? All the authors, yes. Okay, all right. And all uh, right. there are some repeats in here. So just be okay. aware of that. There might be uh, a story by the same person over again. All right. Gotcha. But, but they are not all Ray Bradbury stories, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Although he's written enough, they could all be Ray Bradbury yeah. stories, but they aren't. Okay. So, so go to your go to your corners and come out swinging, right? Yeah. And so uh, here, I think you, you guys will really enjoy these. Here we go. Here's number one. Now look at this. What uh, seems to be... Yes, it's one of those question and answer games. You might, you get a buzz if you guess the right answer. I'll fit a question sheet over the terminals. With this toy, the child develops a rudimentary knowledge of natural facts and a variety of topics. And let's see, 
This top sheet consists of questions on growing plants and flowers. Yeah, well, let's try something different. All right, how about great composers? No, I, I think I'd like to try this sheet titled The Human Body. I used to know something about that. I took a college correspondence course in biology during a long trip out. Very well. I'll plug in question three. The digestive system breaks down protein foods into what simple molecules? Uh, amino acids. Answer number nine. Plug the answer wire onto the number nine terminal. I agree. Amino acids is right. Well, what's the matter then? Works normally. Now try it the way we started. Question three with answer nine. You won't get a buzz this time. Well, but we did get a buzz, and it's right. Yes, we got a buzz before, but we won't get one now. See, Captain, there's a circuit in this thing that randomizes the buzz. The child using this so-called educational toy will get correct answers to start with. Then the randomization sets in, and before he is sure enough of his own knowledge to contradict it, his meager fund of accurate facts will be gradually distorted, not wiped out, but altered more and more, until he is confused. Well, but uh, why? So he'll be convinced that there is no such thing as a correct answer. I don't know. I It sounds really familiar. I can probably tell you the period it came out of, mm -hmm. but I, I don't know who the author is. It is Philip K. Dick. Oh, okay. And That's, it yeah. is the story Made in Avac or Fair Fight. Okay. By Philip K. Dick. All right, let's try number two. All right. Hey. Hey, where's Bonhaus? Clinton, where's the professor? Got me, General. We were all staring at the video. We must have walked out. Get moving, everybody. Alert the guard. Search the house. Yes, sir. If anything happens to that man? General Parker. General Parker. What is it, Corporal? Corporal Gray, guard at the main gate. Sir, Professor Barnhouse is gone. Gone? Where? He came tearing out of the gate at 40 miles an hour. Here's a note, sir. Threw it out of the cars and went by. I picked it up. Let me see it, quick. What the... What got into that man? What does he say, General? Gentlemen... As the first superweapon with a conscience, I am removing myself from your national defense stockpile. Setting a new precedent in the behavior of ordnance, I have humane reasons for going off. Signed, Arthur Barnhouse. Barnhouse was gone, and within 12 hours, the world was on a spree. The headlines were glorious or terrible, depending on what you think of the things the way they are. The dynamo psychic waves reached every corner of the world, and every country, every continent flashed the news of what was happening. There was a new kind of war, the war of tattletales. Secret agents of every country hunted for the hidden armaments of their enemies, yelled about them in the newspapers, and immediately there'd be that warning burst of Barnhouse static, followed by... Radio control fleet blown up on secret maneuvers! The professor was out to make peace or bust, and nothing like him ever was. Oh, man. See, th there was a whole there were a whole bunch of stories like this yeah. where scientists or super scientists or a weapon. I remember one ended up with uh, the guy who invented the super weapon. I don't even it, it might be this one uh, ends up in the general's house and the general he tries to talk the general out of something and he ends up giving the general's daughter a gun. Oh, wow. And the punchline of the story was who in their right mind would give a loaded gun to a child, which, you know, was what 
the scientist was trying to prevent from happening all along. Yeah. So yeah. there were a whole bunch of these kind of, you know, cautionary stories. I don't know who this one is, but it comes out of a pretty respectable genre in science fiction. It does. Surprisingly, this is Kurt Vonnegut. Oh, Kurt Vonnegut. Well, and okay. It's the See. report on the Barnhouse effect. But it's interesting because um, there's no swear words. I, I don't hear any swear words at all. No fucks. I no mean, fucks. Not fakes. How am I supposed to know it's <laughs> Vonnegut? There's no fucks. Yeah. I think they cleaned it up for radio just a little bit. Yeah, maybe so. That, well, see, now, I, now my whole timing is off. All right. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Number three. I told you I'd call my husband. Now you go away. You've got to tell me one thing first. What year is this? Year? 1928, of course. For goodness sake. You hear that, Horst? And we know it's 1987. And we know this is Mars. Of course, is it possible that we got fouled up, made made some tremendous blunder, circled around and landed back on Earth? In 1928? Well, maybe some switch in time or dimension. Could we have shifted somehow, gone gone backward in time? Oh, Horsted, this won't hold water. It's it's not logical. We've, we, we checked every mile. We went past the moon, out into space. We're, we're on Mars. Lustig out at point. Hingston in the rear. Keep that gun at half load. Aye, sir. Horst, there, there's got to be some cold, logical solution. Captain! What? That, that, that house down the street, the white one with the green shutters. Lustig, what's the matter? I never thought I, I never thought of... Thank God! Lustig! Lustig, come back here! He's running for that house. That crazy fool, after him, quick! Lustig, stop! Come down off of that porch! Lustig, what the devil do you think you're doing? Albert! Grandma, Grandpa, it is you. Lustig, what is going on here? Albert, it's, it's been so many years. How you've grown, boy. It's so good to see you. Lieutenant Lustig! Oh, Captain, uh, Grandma, I want you to meet my friends. This is Captain Black. Captain, I want you to meet my grandfather. Howdy. Any friend of Albert's is a friend of ours. <laughs> How long have you been here, Grandma? Oh, a good many years, ever since we died. Ever since you what? Oh, yes, sir. They've been dead 30 years. What? Oh, number three is Ray Bradbury. Yes, it is. How did you know that? If it's about if it's about Mars and illusions, it's about mm-hmm. it's by Ray Bradbury. Um, I'm not quite sure the name of the story, but there it's one of two or three stories where Martians use the power of illusion and nostalgia to trick astronauts, the, the Earthmen, uh, into into going away. The, the the first iterations of his Martian stories are make them go away. Yeah, and uh, this is uh, this one is called Mars is Heaven. Yeah, and and uh, it it uses essentially um, uh, Bradbury's own history uh, from Green quote unquote Greentown, Illinois, which is Waukegan, I think, um, to to set up. A, that's where a lot of his stories take place. Uh, a lovely old timey town. I think this was even made into a. Um, Twilight Zone episode, if I'm not mistaken, or something real similar to it. But it, I don't, I don't remember the title. But it's a, it's a story in which Martians are using the power of illusion and nostalgia to, to trick the Earthmen to confuse them. They're not, they don't know what's going on. But Mom is there and Dad is there. As I recall, the story ends with, you know, Aunt May is there and Uncle Bill and all these, all the, all the people in your family you love more than anybody. And they take you in and you must be really tired, Jimmy. Why don't you lay down for a while? And at the end, it's all all the um, relatives got to the graveyard, and there's three new graves there. Oh. And then the relatives melt back into their original Martian format, and, mm-hmm. they dis- and the house in the town disappears. Uh, because that's the only weapon Martians have, is yep. the power of the mental power. Changing your brain, yeah. yeah. So I'm, all I'm, right. I'm pretty sure it's Bradbury. But it's I don't Bradbury, know. it's Bradbury, and it's Mars is 7. Okay, number four. Yeah. Here it is. 
eccentric millionaire disappears. Yes. You're eccentric, Mr. Harriman. Well, they used to call me crazy, but that depends on your credit rating. A bench warrant under contempt proceedings has been issued. They won't find me out here. <laughs> How is the work going, Charlie? Hmm? My end's in pretty good shape. Well, are you ready to go? My nephews will have detectives out looking for me. Well, I could run those calibration tests tonight. Take till midnight. After that, it's up to the Commodore here. There. There she is, Mr. Harriman. That's the job that'll take you to the moon. It's a good ship. Isn't it? Uh, uh, Mac, uh, stop the car. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. Oh. He's out. Look at him. Where's his medicine? Uh, vest pocket. Here. Break the glass. Hold it on his nose. He looks lousy. Yeah. yeah. There. He's breathing easy. Go around soon. Mac, we ain't gone through with this. Why not? It's murder. He'll never stand up under the initial acceleration. Maybe not, but that's what he wants to do. You heard him. I don't like it. He's an okay old buzzard. What do you want to do with him? Send him back to Kansas City so his no-good nephews can shut him up in the cellar? No, but... Okay, then. Now get out there and make your set up for those test runs. Get that ship ready to fly. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, it's Robert Heinlein. Got to be Robert Heinlein. That's Robert Heinlein, and I would be very surprised if you didn't get the Robert yeah. Heinlein ones because you've read everything. It's, it's yeah. um, because the Harriman, I think is the guy's name, mm-hmm. is is the entrepreneur. I believe he's the entrepreneur who, who the first human to reach the moon, the first human to exploit the moon. Uh, one of his stories is the man who sold the moon, I think. I, I, that might very well be this one. I don't know. No, this but... one's called Requiem. Okay, okay. Now, that might yeah. be a different title for X minus one. You know, some of these, these yeah. are teleplays, so yeah. I'm not going to say that they didn't change titles of stories. But no, yes, no, no, this no, is no, by Re- Robert I. A. Heinlein. Requiem is a, is, a, is a genuine, real, true Robert Heinlein story. Okay. So I know it's 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 the moon in its Heinlein. Well, there it is. It's the okay. Heinlein. It's Heinlein. Okay, number five. Dad... Yes? What was it like? What? On the surface. Don't you remember? Mm-mm. Oh, no, of course not. You were only about six at the time. Well, it, it's best not to talk about it too much. Tell me, Dad, please. Well, it was quite different from living underground. We lived in a valley, your mother and you and I. There were pretty farms along the floor of the valley, little white houses and... Green fields and trees. Oh, and there were birds. Yes. I'm afraid the birds are extinct now. It must have been hard for you those first years underground. It wasn't pleasant. But I had my work at the War Institute. There was so much to be done then. Building the levees to take over the surface war. Designing the pneumatic tubes to get supplies and weapons up to the robots. Organizing the robot councils on the surface. And, of course, the constant fight against radiation leakage. We're still working on that one. I wonder what my life would have been like if it hadn't happened. About all I know is metal walls and great roaring factories and barracks. Nobody wants to live this way, my dear. We have to. Someday, when the enemy's defeated... What makes you think he'll be defeated? The Asians are just as secure underground as we are. When our ladies conquer theirs... Dad. What is it? Dad, the enemy, the one I've been interviewing... I thought we weren't discussing him. He mentioned a word to me. A word? Yes. It, it seems to me that I heard it before when, when I was a little girl. It's best to forget these things. No, I, I don't know what it means, but it might even be a bad word, but 
I have to ask you. I'd rather not. Please? Well? The word was peace. Oh, Dan, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to shock you. I think I'll go up to my room. I have to get up early. I'm taping an interview with the enemy. Excuse me. Damn. No idea. Uh, again, that's this is a very rich genre in science fiction, mm-hmm. the military, the post-apocalyptic. I, I would almost guess, I, I know better, but I would almost guess it's um, uh, Harlan Ellison. This sounds like the story that comes before a boy and his dog. Yeah, but it's not. Uh, but it's not. This is uh, actually Philip K. Dick again. Oh, okay. That makes, and it's The well, Defenders. Makes perfect sense, yeah. All well, right. A lot of Philip K. Dick comes from that we, have to, we had to abandon civilization so we went to this other place and now it's a matter of coping with this new and terrible place we live in it usually comes down to drugs or illusion or something right right yeah all right number six lola what junior oil me can't you wait till duke gets back he always oils you i want you to oil me lola all right I like you to oil me, Lola. Yes, Junior. Lola, do you like Duke? Certainly. Do you like me? Well, you know I do, Junior. Who do you like best, me or Duke? I like you both, Junior. Yes, but who do you love? What do you know about love, Junior? In the books, man and woman love. No. Lola? What? Do you think anyone will ever love me? Maybe. Some women can fall in love with anything, Junior. Even with something like Duke. Why, Lola? I don't know. Maybe because, well, as long as she thinks her man is the smartest and the strongest. I see. Where are you going? To wait for Duke. He won't be home for a while. I'll sit in the hall and wait for him. All right, Junior. I want to be alone and think. About what? I read in a book today it was bad to kill people. What does that mean, bad? Bad. I don't know, Junior. I guess it's just a word. I don't know, but I want to hear the whole thing. I know. (laughs) That's really good. This one is by Robert Block. Oh, Robert Block. Okay. All right. Robert Block. I might get this wrong. Robert Block wrote Psycho, I think. Wow. Uh, Which, which, um... Well, this one is called Almost Human. Yeah, Robert Robert Block is one of um one of the people that that uh, Harlan Ellison looped back into. I think oh, he was because okay. he writes a really good, terrifying story. I'm pretty sure he did at least one or two episodes of The Twilight Zone. He's good at scaring the shit out of you. <laughs> I think I think he's the guy who wrote I Have the Heart of an Eight Year Old and oh. I put the Jar by My Bed. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's he's he's a sick old bastard. But I, I think oh. he probably passed away years ago. But he's uh, he's very good. Number seven. I will be very surprised if you don't get this one. Oh, great. No pressure. <laughs> Dr. Sharon, you're the only scientist I could find in the city. Where is everybody? In the hideout. The hideout? 
Yes, but the place bored me. I wanted to be out here where things are getting hot. I want to see the stars the cultists are talking about. Besides, they don't want me at the hideout. I'm too scrawny to survive. What is the hideout? Well, we professors have managed to convince a few people that our prophecy of doom is valid. We've got about 3,000 people. They're supposed to hide where the darkness and the stars can't get at them. We hope they'll survive and leave the records. Survive? Survive what? Well, how true it is, I can't say. But the, the cultists say that every 2,050 years, all the suns disappear. And there is a total darkness, and then they say things called stars appear. Of course, men go mad. They, they mix all this up with a lot of religio-mystic notions. Uh, but that's the central idea. But that's impossible, isn't it? I mean, there are always at least two suns in the sky, most of the time four or five. There aren't now. Only beta. You mean that there is going to be worldwide darkness tomorrow, that all mankind will go violently insane? What's behind that? Well, for one thing, the history of civilization of the world. We have located a series of cycles of civilizations comparable to our own, all of which, without exception, were destroyed by fire at the very height of their culture. Oh, that's okay. Isaac Asimov, Nightfall. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you kind of know that one. Well, it's or this, not. This is what irritated, as I recall, uh, the good doctor his entire career. It didn't piss him off because, but it was this this story he wrote when he was like twenty three. It was like it was one of his first three or four stories, and it's arguably his most famous story. It's the it's a wonderful story about um, I forget the, the the poet where it comes from. It kills me that I, I don't remember exactly, but it's you know how would how would men be reminded of the glory of heaven if 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 they only saw the stars every thousand years. And it's a story of a planet at the galactic core where the sun only sets. They only have darkness once every 2,000 years. And the whole planet goes mad. And they have no way of remembering because they destroy everything every 2,000 years. So these scientists have come up with this novel theory of celestial mechanics that explains their religion away. And the religion, the religion has all of this in it, but it's all warped and it's all um, dressed up in mysticism. And, they, and the, the great, I don't know, serpent comes out of the sky and eats the sun. And it's the story of what happens happened that night. You know, it, it's it, it's it's coming. Uh, but it was, he wrote that when he was a really young man, and for the rest of his career, you know, he's got three hundred novels under his belt, and God knows what else, several thousand short stories. And people kept saying, "You know, that Nightfall was really good." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I wrote it forty years ago. <laughs> and I've done a lot of things since then. Best story he ever wrote was that Nightfall. Also, also, don't rent the movie. It's awful. It's mm. just awful. So. But Grant, a wonderful story. All right, number eight. Well, what do you want to do this evening? Well, the Petersons asked us over for bridge, but well, if you... Well, we don't have to worry about the kids. They'll be all right in the nursery. Come on, Livia. We deserve a night out. And in the nursery, the walls were a kaleidoscope of time and space and imagination. The green forest of Sherwood and the quiet forms of Robin and his merry men gave way to the roll of the high seas and the smell of salt in the air as Sir Henry Morgan sailed into the harbor at Jamaica. And behind the crystalline quartz walls, the vacuum tubes and grids and banks of metal image tape spun quietly and efficiently, erasing the line between illusion and reality. Of course, the electric bill from Consolidated Utilities was tremendous, but... It was worth it. 
The happy life home breathed contentedly as life proceeded with soft automaticity as guaranteed in the brochure and bill of sale. Oh, Ray Bradbury. Yes. Uh, I'm guessing that's the Velt. You are correct. Wow. Yeah. You're, now you're on fire. Now you're Bradbury, We had to warm you up a little bit, but now yeah. you're ready to go. Yeah. Again, terrific story. Highly recommended. Go out and read it. It's And it has giant television sets in it. This hmm. idea that you have video, you're running video all the time in your home, and that television has become extremely interactive and customized to the point where you don't want to leave. Um, and it becomes dangerously realistic is, is Bradbury from the 60s, I remember. So Ray was way ahead. All these guys were way ahead of their time. Yep. All right. And the final one. Horn switched the two men back again while I rushed for the telephone. Crash priority. The Pentagon. General Follinsby. Priority and classified. Ask the general to stand by for scrambler. A weapon. This was far more than a weapon. We had the world by the tail. I got through to the general, and I was excited as I pointed out the implications of the device. Suppose a hostile representative visited this country, I told him. One of our men could switch places with him, and no one would ever guess. In time, we could have our men in the top positions of every government in the world. Our men reporting to us. It was the greatest opportunity any government ever had. The general was impressed in spite of himself. We arranged an appointment in the Pentagon for the next morning. As I hung up, I fingered the silver leaf on my shoulder. It would soon be a star. Colonel! Colonel! Uh, what is it, O'Hare? Sir, I don't know how to put this. I'm afraid Dr. Van Pelt has gone psycho, sir. Why, Sergeant? What's he done? He's raving, sir. He says Dr. Horn wants to live forever. He says all Horn was waiting for was to make a test on a human being. He says now you've given Horn his test, Horn is going to grab the first human being he can find and... Excuse me, sir, this is what he said... And steal his body. Great Scott! Where's Van Pelt now? In the laboratory, sir, with Dr. Horn. Gee, is, is everybody around here nuts? Oh, it sounds really familiar, but I do not know. It's by Frederick Pohl. Yay! Fred Pohl. And it's called The Haunted Corpse. I've never Excellent. heard of that story, but... Excellent. I, I, I'm familiar with the title. I might have read it a long time ago. That was really, really fun. Yeah. I enjoyed. I enjoyed those, and that makes me want to go back and listen to more X-1. So. Yeah. Good job. Well, we're going to include the link to that that podcast on our yeah. on our site. Yeah, right? and and also I'll be putting up um, this list somewhere. I'll figure out where. <laughs> on the Twitter? No. No, it won't go on the Twitter, but maybe um, I'll take a picture of it and put it upside down on our Facebook page. So if people really want to print it out, they can print it out and have it. But if they don't want to have the answers before they listen to it. They don't have to. Just listen to the damn podcast, people. Take notes. Don't take notes while you're driving. All will be revealed. Yeah. We, will, we, we will always reveal. We will Thank not you much, Dogface Herman. This was awesome. Yeah. This was really this an was interesting really one. Cool. Even Thank though it went a little long, I'm really glad we did it. Yeah. All right. All right, now we have like, what, three minutes left for the podcast? Right. Right. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? We've got a whole bunch of re uh, listeners who, who would be totally cool with that. They'd be fine. <laughs> Could you just do science fiction and Bible Bish all the time? That's it? Yeah. <laughs>
All right, baby. I love you. Love you too. Bye.